0: If you want to be in the know About how we put together our yeah. little show If you like to hear the puffer cheese and, and play me. the characters that you cheer uh, So join us as we go, go, go And the frame In this episode of Below the Frame, we're speaking with Abby Cadabby's co-pilot, Sesame Street Muppet performer, Leslie Carrara Rudolph. We talk about Carol Burnett, Muppets Tonight, and one of the recurring themes in her life, resilience. We're also talking again about our friend Jerry Nelson. So flap your wings like a fairy, it's time to go Below the Frame. Go, 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 Below the Frame. Welcome to Below the Frame. My name is Matt Vogel, and we have a fun show today, and I'm just going to jump right into it, actually. Uh, we're talking with Leslie Carrara-Rudolph, and if you don't know Leslie, her brain, and I don't mean the one that she carries in her purse, uh, but her brain is constantly firing with new ideas and thoughts, and so you're going to have to pay attention today to keep up. You, uh, you might think that Leslie's mind works on some other plane, and you very well could be right in that uh, Things that are said are, uh, Continually spark new ideas and thoughts And so it's, it's it's really fun to just let her go And see where where it takes her So, so uh, it's uh, so much fun talking with her As you're going to soon see So uh, what are we waiting for? I'm ready I hope you are too Because if you're not You are liable to get whiplash So let's go below the frame With Leslie Carrara Rudolph One, two, three, four I'm scared. Don't be scared. I'm Here we scared go. I
1: am. No, don't be. It's don't okay. I am home.
0: here's what here's what it will sound like. My guest today is a very talented entertainer, singer, voiceover artist, writer, actor, puppeteer, all-around artist and Sesame Street Muppet performer, just to name a few of the things that she can do. Her mind <laughs> is always working and rarely at rest because she is constantly creating. New and unique works of art for adults and children. She does workshops. She does cabaret performances. She has a podcast called Lolly Lard Pops Radio Playdate. There are activity pages for kids, music videos for everyone. And there's pretty much nothing that this person has not attempted and succeeded at. She plays Elmo's best friend, Abby Cadabby on Sesame Street, along with a bunch of others. Please welcome to Below the Frame, my friend, Leslie Carrara Rudolph. Leslie. Oh my God! <laughs> How thats that? Is that all right?
2: Who is this lady? Uh, yeah, we left out that I invented the sun. Oh <laughs>
0: shoot! Well, when I do it for real, I'll make sure that goes up in there. How are you doing, Leslie?
2: I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm excited to talk to you. Don't be nervous.
2: I'll try not to.
0: Okay, it's it's just it's like you and me just sitting around and talking. All right, that's what it, <laughs> that's all it is. Okay. It'll be fun. So what, <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the beginning of your life, all right? And we're just going to kind of walk Ew! down. I know. Well, not that that's far, so but tiny. I
2: looked like a little. I was so. I was smaller than a fist.
0: <laughs> where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Pleasant Hill, um, California, and that's kind of like we call it the Bay Area. So if you were Pleasant Hill Walnut Creek area, if you were to, you know where San Francisco is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if you drive back towards Oakland. And Berkeley, you would go through a little mountain, the Caldecott Tunnel, and then you go and you go through Lafayette and then there's Martinez. And so there's just like this little valley of little towns. And we actually have Mount Diablo, which is like often the distance from our town, not that far. We used to take field trips there all the time. But the the, um, parks, the Pleasant Hill Parks and Recreation Department, they actually owned more land than the city. So there was parks everywhere, and there's tons of after-school programs, which is key to my living. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, before we get there, tell me about your family.
2: Oh, okay. Well, um, I am the only California uh, baby in the family. So my um, my family started my pop, um, my dad... Um, Arthur, Arturo is Italian. Anyway, so they're from Tacoma, Washington. And my mom, like my, I think my grandpa started in Chicago. My grandpa was a fireman. Um, anyway, so they met in Tacoma, Washington and had my um, two brothers and a sister. And um, so they were up there for a long time. And then my dad was, he did all kinds of jobs. He, you know, he, he owned a restaurant for a while, Italian restaurant. He worked at a brewery. <laughs> And had all kinds of fun. The stories are great.
0: But what was the main thing that he did?
2: Well, what happened was he got in an accident. And he realized that he couldn't do the manual labor and stuff he was doing. And his dream was always to be an animator for Disney. And so he went after having three kids and everything. And then my mom got knocked up with me by my dad. So it's okay. I was like an incoming. She's like, you're an incoming. There's no stopping it. We tried, you know. And
0: it continues to this day.
2: <laughs> it is. It's like we had no choice. But then um he decided to go back to school. So that's when we mig- that's when the family migrated across the Great Plains, down through the Oregon Trail, into lovely pleasant hill. No, in um so he went to CalArts and he went to school in Berkeley and studied art. And he this is really important. His um, his favorite Disney animated um, short was *Fernand the Bull*. That animated short—this is a segue into nowhere, but important. <laughs> that animated short um, was art directed by Tony Geis' father. Really. Yes, that's why it's so important. Wow, so, anyway, my dad cool. went to school and everything. But, um, so my, and then my grandparents lived with us, you know. So, so, my mom was working, they had kids, they had me. My dad went back to school and he decided that the animation thing, he was going to be an art teacher. So, he passed down his love for the arts to many students. We, so much art everywhere. My, our backyard looked like a park between my mm. grandpa and my dad. Um, But I mean, cut to um, when I got Abby Cadabby. I told Pop, "I go, your hero's son created my character." Like we were sobbing
0: because it was Tony Geiss was uh, one of the classic Sesame Street writers, and he was instrumental in the creation of Abby.
2: Yeah, so it was like his dream trickled down like a little light all the way into this. So, and my dad like was instrumental in the fact that you know we. Um, his students would come over. My dad would cut their hair. Um, my dad would let his art students paint our Volkswagen bug at the end of every school year. So it, we had this crazy art bug that we would ride around in all summer. There was like always extra, like my brother's, um, my brother refo- rebuilt a 1936 Ford Model A in the car. And that's where I learned all my swears in our. In our garage, like, I'd hear all these things, and I'd come in, right, where's my blanky blank, blank, blank mouth? she's
1: like, what? What? Well, Frankie said it! It was...
0: So, just- so, I can see that where you got your artistic flair kind yeah. of really came from your dad, whose name, coincidentally, is Art.
2: Art. I know. art. <laughs> Which I love. Well, yeah, because, like, he would also, too, like... He- if he had an idea for something, he would try it out on his kids. And I was like, you know, I'm significantly younger and I was used a lot by my family. My parents, and my kid, my brothers would dress me up to do. I mean, I was just, I think I was more like the family pet until I started stealing dogs,
1: uh-huh.
2: um, which is another story. But um So yeah, like the, and I was always pushed outside in the backyard I, obviously I have ADHD, TNT, I call it explosive (laughs) attention deficit disorder. Yeah. So my environment was highly autistic. Like because I was always outside my dad, I always had a playhouse wherever I lived. Like even if it was half of the shed, which is kind of scary. Think of it. One side of the shed has rakes and shovels, pruning clippers, and then the other side is this cute little fairy house, right? It's like, go out and play, and I'm like running with
1: uh huh.
2: But because I was in the backyard, I was going to say my first puppet experience was in the backyard.
0: It was what was your first puppet experience?
2: Okay, so my grandpa, who you know was a fireman, and in and because he was a fireman, and I don't know if it was because he saw so much burning, he had this incredible green thumb. And he, he would landscape and make these beautiful, beautiful garden in our little backyard. And I was in the, out in the garden. I was making gnome homes and fairy things and things for the frogs. And he would say, oh, less." You got to tell me where you build these gnome homes. I was watering and I wiped out a whole village. I was like, I'll rebuild. <laughs> it's all about resilience, my story. That's
0: right. That's what it is.
2: But he grabbed, he goes, You want to see nature's puppet? And he grabbed a snapdragon and he pinched the ends of the snapdragon and he made it talk. And that blew my mind. That was before I went to the tiki room at Disney <laughs> where all the flowers and everything were talking. So, Between that and like also to sitting with my dad when he taught summer school, I would sit next to him and students would come up and, you know, I was kind of young, you know, and it was also too just cheaper to bring me with him when he taught art classes, when there was like budget for art and students would come up like, I can't, I don't, I can't draw. I don't, this isn't good. And my dad would just say, hey, tell me about this this is interesting. I really like that. He wouldn't listen. He would immediately start asking questions and they would leave and they would come up thinking they couldn't do anything, but they would leave going, wow, I have a story behind this. Like everything had to have a reason or moment. Everything was like a gift. And he'd say, everybody can draw or, you know, sing or write. It's just at what point in life you believe that you can, or you go into that. So I was very very lucky that he filled me with a lot of creative um, tools that I use.
0: Yeah, now. you continue to use those tools today. Yes. That's for sure.
2: But I think he had to keep reinventing himself and he just did it because he had a family and you know and and also too we were because of the parks and recreation department and I was placed into every after-school program known mm-hmm. in mankind because, you know, just because they needed childcare. Um, I got too fast for my grandparents to <laughs> <laughs> get me down to the, the <laughs> tree with a rake one time. <laughs> um, we were always, ha- we were always involved with the community. So Pleasant Hill was at, and Walnut Creek, you know, um, there was a lot of theater there. That's, I i You know, I got involved in theater in in high school, but then when I was 16, I I joined, I got um, Fantasy Form Actors Ensemble um, was, they did theater for young audiences. And so it was all musical fairy tales, but there was improv involved. And that became my second family.
0: Yeah. So was this the first time that somebody was like, okay, I'm going to put you in a role. You're going to be doing this thing on stage. We're going to do some shows and you're going to do some improv.
2: No. Well, like, no. Because I, I think, like, also, too, I should tell you my first, my second puppet experience was um, we would go to Fairyland in Oakland and Louis Smallman, you know, Frank Oz and not. Had gone on. I know he started there, but Lewis Malman was working there, and I saw um, there was this wolf that was made out of a gourd. I asked if I could go backstage. You know, I waited backstage because I wanted to meet the puppets. Okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I yeah. You know, and and also too, like this has a lot to do with Sesame Street. Like I had a lot of learning issues. Like my friend Pammy says, you should tell people this. They don't know this, and I'm like, mm. I have mild dyslexia type of issues that I switch words around or in my mind will see a word that's not there. It's very tricky. Like I'll see then instead of there or odd an and, and going in school because I would struggled with reading so much, you know how they would say, Oh, um, you're going to read the paragraph, you know, if they go, "Yes," down. I would only read my paragraph. And if somebody got up and went to the bathroom, I'm like, Oh no, <laughs> I didn't memorize that paragraph. So, I remember to, to balance out all my reading things, I would, like if we had a book report, I would check out a book that I don't think anybody read, and then I would make this really cool art jacket and stuff, and then I would make up a story of what the book was about. That's so cool. Teachers, It's not cool. It I, is. I just like, was like, I can't but- kind of people. So when I started watching Sesame Street, I, it helped me learn and it looked like what was going on inside my brain. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, well, I have all those characters. Like everything around me kind of comes to life in that kind of Walter Mitty way. You know, that this this fish stapler, you know, becomes <laughs> so the audience can't see that I'm a That's fish. That's right. Stapler. They can't see
0: it. But you do have an actual stapler that is, <laughs> looks like a fish. It a fish. Which,
2: as far as a song I wrote called, if this God made, anything is possible. If this <laughs> God made, then my dreams can come true. If someone took the time to make this a reality, there can be passion in anything we do.
0: <laughs> I love it. It's so true. It's so true. So you did watch Sesame Street when you were growing up and you were inspired in some way. I mean you were inspired because what you were seeing was like what's inside your mind. Oh,
2: I wanted to live there.
0: So you were you were in an acting troupe?
2: Yeah. At 16. So, yes, yeah, so I would say characters. So um like like I said I was like obsessed obsessed with um um like creating characters and I would say that the most life-changing, my most influential person would be Carol Burnett. Oh, so yeah. so now I'm going to get a little dark, Matt.
0: Go so, go all my, my the way fa- where you want to go. <laughs>
2: my family was fabulous. I love them. My grandparents live with them. You know how I'm obsessed with seniors um, uh, because I had storytellers. We had storytellers around. But my brother, uh, my second brother was killed in a motorcycle accident, and I was 11. And that to me, and I share this a lot because I do a lot, I work with kids at risk and it's totally shaped my major at San Francisco state and everything is that was like, that changed my family because you can imagine, and you know, as a father, it just changed the environment completely. And you know, my, my family was heartbroken. My grandparents were keeping us together. My brother was already um, out. He had graduated. My sister was gone and then there was me and I couldn't control the world around me, but I could control the world that I could create. So I would create these characters. And at first I started cartooning because that's what my dad, but then we would come together as a family and we would watch the Carol Burnett show. And I remember sitting there with three generations, my grandparents, my mom and dad, myself, and my Toto, which was Snoopy at that time because all dogs (laughs) were named Snoopy. And Carol Burnett came on and... She was actually becoming these characters, you know, she was like, and when I met her later, she said that she used to draw her characters, but um, she's my dream person. But um, and I remember looking and like as a female, seeing a female dress up and doing all these crazy things. I'm like, you mean I can do that? Oh my gosh.
0: So a big light bulb went off for you. I
2: was obsessed. I would dress up and be these crazy characters. And so when theater came along and I did a lot of it, you know, I I was in my first, I was my very first show was in high school. It was the pajama game. I played Mabel and I I played her like Eunice because <laughs> Carol Burnett. You know, yep. nobody said that you haven't a choice. And I made my own costumes. Like, no, I don't need you people. <laughs> I just showed up fully in character. Ready to go. Yeah, and then um, from that I did Godspell, which was a community, a youth community experience. I did that. I sang day by day, and then then there was all these youth community programs. And then from that, I was plucked from this theater to so the theater company, Fantasy Form Actors Ensemble, and they would cast me as uh, Leslie will be the dog. And I'm like. I'll be on all fours. I would. They put me in the hottest costumes, the craziest. They kept on, Leslie. will do it. I'll be the reindeer. I. I was Pinocchio. You know, and I didn't have to even bind myself to do it. You know, and so I. They cast me as all these wild characters, and because a lot of it was interactive audience with the, it with the kids, they hold you accountable. They, you have to embody that character, and I said wow, I can't control my world. But for the next hour on stage, I know where this is going. I know my part. I know the characters. And I know, like when I watched Carol Burnett and I had my family laughing in my ear,
3: I'm going to get emotional.
2: I thought she's bringing joy. Like she's my family needs to laugh right now more than anything, and if even if it's an hour one night a week, I'm like, I want to be her. My whole life has been, I want to be like Carol Burnett, yeah. and then the characters. And when I couldn't physically do them, I would make characters that could do them, and that's where like puppets and everything. And then then from then I ended up doing. More serious theater. I did Sweeney Todd. I played the Baker Woman twice. I was Audrey in Little Shop of Horrors. I was in Pump Boys and
0: Dinettes and
2: Chorus Line. And
0: but it's amazing, though. You know, back to just your family sitting around it, at, at a time of of unbearable grief. Mm-hmm. To be able to have that release, that laughter, is so important to just kind of help you lift. Lift you up for a, even if a, a minute, even if it's a, a, a joke.
2: And a minute or a joke. And that's, I think, I don't, I think this comes from a lot of people who have lost, like, you know, and why do you write? Like you're running out of time. Like you're running yeah. out of time, you know, in moments. And even Jim Henson had a loss. Yeah. And I think that what happens is it's like, you only have this moment. I always say, oh, we'll always have this moment because it really is that moment. And I think learning at that young age and you know, actually we had a a series of loss back to back to back to back to back. But when you're young and you, you know, that like, this is temporary, you know, this is the vehicle I'm in. And I have these powers to spread joy and embody other things. And, and, and I just think the arts are how we collaborate with our spirits. So I don't know what angels were riding with me or how, but I've always felt like I, have I've somebody's just going, this is hilarious. Let's put her (laughs) over here. You know, and as some of my, I lost my comedy partner. And um, I remember there's sometimes like when I have Granny Dot on, I know it's him going Mm -hmm. like, you're just using me because you still want to be on stage. (laughs) Like, I don't know where I came up with that.
0: So. Well, before we get to Granny Dot, and I'm going to try to remember to ask you about Granny Dot later, uh, I, you you did all this theater, and then were you thinking, I'm, okay, I'm going to be an actor, and I need to go to college to do that? Is that what you decided to do? No. What did I you do? Said, I said,
2: well, because I was working in the Parks and Rec, uh, you know, because once you, you probably know this, once you're a camper, then you're a junior leader, and then you're a camp leader. And my dream has always been to have a camp for kids. Always. I was like, I'm just gonna have a camp for kids. That's my dream. It's gonna have a miniature golf course. It's gonna have a dog park. It's gonna, you know, so and I was working a lot with kids that had different stories. And because I can recognize when somebody's going through something, and I had a very sad story happen to me in camp. I won't go into it, but I realized that I to help this child, I'll always carry him with me. I'm gonna go to school and I I design my major. I was going to be a drama teacher, but I had this reading disability. And it took me hours and hours and hours to go through stuff. So my mom helped me graduate because I, my parents wanted me to stay in theater. But at San Francisco State, if you didn't major in theater, you couldn't do shows and stuff. So my mom would say, you know, they're doing Chorus Line. Your father and I would really love to see you in that. So I, oh, I can't do that. So I went to San Francisco State. Um, I designed my major um, child development through the arts because I thought, you know, what I want to be the ultimate entertainer for families. I want to find a way to be Carol Burnett for kids, and um, so I studied child psychology and therapeutic recreation. Therapeutic recreation is um, kind of like it's like drama therapy or physical therapy, where um, I, I would you would like I would take a population like hospitalized children or kids that are crack kids or um, foster homes or you know whatever population and you would design programs for or you would come up with a character that would reach them an art thing and so my whole thing at San Francisco State was finding ways to reach children through the arts and so that's what I wanted to be the lady on romper room and I thought I'll just do theater in my community I absolutely love it and then I'm going to do that. I'm going to be a special ed teacher. By the way, back to my mom. Yeah, I would go to San Francisco State. I go to school. I take the bus. I get on BART, Bay Area Rapid Transit. I'd write down all in words, my handwritten, what my homework was. My mom would pick me up at the BART station. She'd have a bag lunch, bag dinner for me. She'd drive me to rehearsal. She'd take my homework. My dad would... Meet my mom at rehearsal. They'd leave the car for me. They would go home. My mom would type up my homework and then I would drive home. Then she'd drive me to the BART the next day and then I'd go back to San Francisco State. It was crazy.
0: But they so- were so there for you and just your biggest supporters. It just sounds like they were just wanting you to get out there and do the thing that you're meant to do.
2: Yeah. Oh, I should say, when I went to school, I didn't go straight to school because I had to raise money for school, I got some scholarships. Um, I went to a junior college first because it was free. Mm -hmm. And I worked all through in junior college. Then I had to take a year off to raise more money. My parents helped me as much as they could. But I painted windows. I did kids' birthday parties. Kids would invite me to their party at camp, you know, as I was Frog, you know, the camp leader. And then I would just go to their party, eat cake. But then (laughs) then the parents came up and like, will you please come to my daughter's party? I'll pay you. And I'm like, okay, you're gonna pay me, <laughs> and so that's how I started doing children's birthday parties. I, uh, but I kept getting jobs in theater, and I said, oh, I'm going to be a teacher after this. Then I'll be a special ed teacher. But then from that time, I was working in fantasy form, and then I got a job at Beach Blanket Babylon in San Francisco, which was the longest running cabaret um, in theater history. It's it just closed. It
0: only just recently closed, didn't it?
2: Yeah, and it was. Epic. Like we would do the can can with an actual garbage can on our head. So it was dancing and singing and doing celebrities. And I played Dorothy going around the world looking for love. And then at some point I turned into Madonna. I flew over the audience to Vogue on a harness, came down, married Elvis (laughs) six nights a week. (laughs) And um this is crazy. So then Norman Lear came to see Beach Blanket. Now, this is going to be crazy. This is like a, uh, this is a Hermione Time Spinner. When my parents, like, we we mostly camped. We didn't really get, we couldn't afford to take vacations, but we would save up and like every other year we would go to Disneyland which was huge. It was an epic deal. Um, but one year we decided to go to Universal. And when we went to Universal, we got tickets to see a show. Like They're handing out tickets. And it was the Nancy Walker show um, <laughs> directed by Norman Lear. But we went into the audience and Norman Lear came out and gave the curtain speech. I looked at him and like, I'm going to meet him one day. Like I was fascinated by Norman Lear. I was like, why would a 13-year-old, use Norman Lear.
0: <laughs> I know. <laughs> why would I even... What was it? What do you think it was that fascinated you? He was you
2: telling him? the story. He, it, there was something about, like storytelling has always been like, I just want to be the ultimate storyteller. I don't know what it was. And so I was driving into work across the Bay Bridge, right? And we knew Norman Lear was going to be in the audience. And I was like. Oh my god, this is it! I I felt like I felt like a fortune
1: teller.
2: Ah, this is happening. So I went and I was like, "This is it. This is when I meet Norman Lear." And he was in the audience, and I was freaking out. You know, he didn't come backstage. So cut two, we're sitting backstage, and they said, "Leslie, you have to take a mandatory vacation. You're doing too much." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'm going to Disneyland." And I done <laughs> my first one person show, which I kind of skipped over that. I was so busy doing, performing for kids. One of the theaters says, would you consider doing a performance for adults? And I'm like, what? Like, do you have characters that you can do for adults? So I think I was like maybe 26 at the time. So I wrote my first one-woman show called Life in Other People's Shoes. And there was shoes all over the stage. And I would like cartoon a character and then I'd put on the shoes and I'd become the character. So I had taped it. I had on a VHS tape. And I went to I said, I'm gonna go visit my sister, stay with her. I'm gonna bring her my tape. And my friend Val Diamond, she goes, You need to call Norman Lear. And I'm like, What? I gonna call Norman Lear.
0: <laughs> I don't How I, do, I, do goes, you do that anyway? I would not
2: do it? because I never told anyone. I had this audition. I flew down there. And he says, by the way, who's the girl who played Dorothy? And Miss D said, "She goes. She's a wacko. <laughs> She's just crazy. She wears. She carries a fish purse. She, has, she paints her shoes. Uh, like we try to get her to look professional when she comes into work. She's dressed like a working clown, you know. And I don't know what to do." He says, "He goes. I'm. I just. I'm thinking of something for her." So I went to Disneyland. I had Norman Lear's office number. I said, "This is Leslie Carrera. Um, I was in Beach Blanket Babylon. My friend Val Diamond said." that I, I should probably call you, that you might have some great advice for somebody that likes comedy. Went to Disneyland, came back. My sister's like, yeah,
1: Norman Lear's office called.
2: You have an appointment with him on Monday. I'm like, what?
0: That's oh my God. insane. I feel like I knew that you met him.
2: I went in, I, I ended up talking with him. I was like, this is my Norman Lear meeting. Outfit. Is that your Leslie Carrara meeting outfit? He's like,
1: Whoa, <laughs>
2: this diamond was right. So I went in, we talked, and he says, What do you want to do? And I said, I want to do do humor with a heart. You know, I remember you talking, and and in his in his speech, he talked about you can put purpose in everything that you do. And and like you can use humor to tell stories. And I said, I just want to, you know, entertain the human spirit. He just looked at me crazy and he goes, give me a hug. I gave him a hug. I said, well, what do you want to do? And he goes, because I was like, what's what you've done all these things. What do you want to do? And he goes a lot like what you're going to want to do. And then so he showed me out. He said his secretary, Jenny, who's still my friend today, she goes, "Will you give Leslie a copy of my speech to the National Endowment for the Arts. And then he got the speech, he signed it, handed it to me. And I'm like, okay. And it said, educating the human spirit. So then I went home. Wow. I'm like, I'm going to put together a show and I'm going to tell Norman Lear about it. So that's a whole nother side thing. But I do want to say something about characters because this was important. Yes. During the time that I grew up and this will, you know, give away my age. I don't care. Um, It's just years on earth. It was during the AIDS epidemic. So. Again, my story. There's so much loss. I'm going, Paul. Oh, I'm going to try to not t- talk about that <laughs> story, but but
0: it's an important part of your journey. It is,
2: it is. and our community was so close knit with the arts and lost a lot of people, and that was just kind of like what we're going through now. But but people were literally be- melting before your mm-hmm. eyes, beautiful spirits, and so as a community, we came together and we were trying to raise money for the AIDS epidemic and the AIDS Foundation Celebration for Life, and we had a meeting, and in that meeting, they said, "Okay, Leslie, and you're going to write something funny about this. You, we got to find some way to make people laugh through this thing." And I was like, "This is impossible," and I was like, "I can't do this," you know. So then i um, I went to the Kmart in our town, and there was a woman sitting out front. She didn't have a Southern accent. People weren't Southern. I was in Northern California. I don't know why.
1: That's all right.
2: That I'm sorry. It's nothing against Southern people, okay? Just so just, you know, please don't come up like, Leslie is this. But anyway, there's a woman sitting there and she had a table set up with asking people to sign petitions to not let AIDS patients be in the hospital, not let any gay people be... Servers oh in restaurants and everything. Like she had, it was a it was a stack of myths, and I was so angry. I wanted to get my truck and just back up over her, <laughs> and her with my fish burst.
0: But what did you do instead?
2: I went inside I was so mad. I go, these are all myths, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I came up with my very first character, Myrtle Myth. So every myth about AIDS, Myrtle had a product for, and I wore a wetsuit. It was the body. It was the body rubber. And I had, I so I wore a wetsuit. I had a, a bathing cap. I had a hula guard, which was a hula hoop with <laughs> suspenders to keep the sickies out of my radius. And so I came up with all these products for every myth I wrote a product for. And I would come out with a shopping cart and I preached, like, this is what you got to do. And you can buy this survival kit you know to be around these crazy people and i i said for just 49.95 and i got the audience to say 49.95 just sing, send your check or money order to i m a and then the, over the loudspeaker um, the director said uneducated insensitive fool blackout
1: oh that's cool and i
2: was like oh shh and there was like dead silence and then i rolled my thing off the stage and then
0: Oh, my God! Well, you were answering something that up so many people were angry about. Really? They were with you,
2: yeah, it was and weird. And there was like we had AIDS patients in the front, like you know we lost it was just like this is gonna be terrifying
0: so you you did do a ton of cabaret performances and theater performances. yeah, I remember you telling me you, you used to do a regular cabaret performance in the basement of a Mexican restaurant. is that yeah. right in in l a was this in yeah. l a
2: Yes. Oh my God. Okay, I'm going to do. I'll do a quick spaghetti run. Yeah. So I went to San Francisco State. I was coming home. I hadn't finished my car. I hadn't finished painting a window, so I was dressed like an elf because I used to dress <laughs> like an elf painting windows. But I had my Madonna makeup on. So I look like a hooker for Santa. I'm coming home from San Francisco State. I got hit by a car coming oh. that was trying to get off the Bay Bridge. I rolled my truck, skid 80 feet upside down, completely totaled it. I was lucky to walk out of it. I still don't know how I walked out of it. Um, the the trumpet player, M- Uncle Stevie, says, I'm coming home. I see this elf picking up frogs off the side of the road because I had all my clown stuff there and I pulled over. Followed me to the hospital and Disney had come. They were looking for entertainers for Disney World and come and see me in the show and offered me a job. And I said, no, I'm happy in my community, but When that happened, that smack, I realized, you know, I've never been out of my hometown. I'm going to go. And plus, I totaled my car.
0: We'll pick it up in a minute with Leslie Correra-Rudolph. But right now, it's time for a Jerry story. By now, you know that Jerry Nelson was the performer of The Count on Sesame Street, Floyd Pepper with The Muppets, and by the way, so many other characters. And Jerry wrote stories, and I have asked people that knew him to read them. Today, Carmen Osbar, performer of Rosita on Sesame Street, shares her memory and reads a story written by Jerry Nelson. Carmen?
3: I want to share my first memory of Jerry Nelson. Um, I have so many, so many. He was such a wonderful friend. Um, But I want to share the first one, because I think is what it formed our relationship. And it was in 1988. Um, and we were, they were, and they were working on Sesame Street season, I guess, 18, 19, I don't know. And, um, I just came from Mexico. It was my first few days in New York City. And, um, you know, I was in the Unitel Studios where they used to do Sesame Street in those days. Uh, it was in 55th Street and 9th Avenue, what is now um, the Alvinelli School. And I, um, you know, it was early in the morning and everybody was arriving and I was just standing in on set. And it's strange because you walk into Unitel and right away you walk into a corridor... Very short corridor that right away in the right side, you have the door of the audio, then the control room, and then there was a door that you open it, and it was the arbor of the set, the arbor door that opened right to the arbor of Sesame Street. So you were in set, right? I mean, like two, three, four steps, and then you were in set from the street, from the 99, you know, the 55th and 9th Avenue. So I remember I was there. People were arriving. It was early in the morning. We were getting ready to start the day. And then the door opens, and this incredible, handsome, glowing man with a million-dollar smile walks in with a newspaper in one hand, a cup of coffee in the other one, his guitar in his back. And he just yell, Good morning, everybody, with that incredible voice. And everybody turned around and with adoration say good morning back to this beautiful glowing man. And I thought, whoa, who's this guy? And then I kind of like recognized his face from my book that I had of uh, Muppet and Man. And I thought, I think he's one of the puppeteers. Oh my God. And yes, it was Jerry Nelson. And from that day on, it was just admiration for, for him of seeing him work of how he related with everybody and how he tried to connect with me right away in a different way he knew i think he observed me i was there observing them but he observed me and i know that he was he knew that i was there it was i was scared i didn't understand most of anything and he saw that i was a little bit fragile so he connected with me. He right away told me that he loved to go to Mexico. He had this favorite place in Um that he used to go is right on the beach. And he used to play with friends there and stay there for a long time. And, and he actually share, we share a friend, a Mexican actor. So we right away connected from that side, nothing to do about work we just connected about our uh, uh, for um you know our love of mexico and the love of that he had about the music and the food and and the drinks and all that and he told me all the spanish words that he learned and i was laughing because i said oh my god they just taught you all the bad words <laughs> But from that day on, we connected that way, and he was great. He, um, he find out too, uh, right away, that I was just there after a the few months that my father passed away, and I was feeling a little guilty of leaving my mother along in Mexico and he said, listen, I'm always in the Muppet Room. Your mother can call you anytime, every day if she wants. I can pick up the phone. I'll just keep it, you know, and you can also call her, you know. Just tell your mom that she can call you here in the Muppet Room because I was finding very difficult to, to... to talk to my mom because I live in a residence. And well, long story. But the thing is I told my mom, hey, listen, you can call me and, and, and you know, call me to the Muppet Room. And there's one of the Muppeteers that, that he said that it's okay. So then I started finding out that my mom used to call and just talk forever with Jerry. So my time, the time that my mom <laughs> had to talk to me, she was just talking to Jerry. Because I was observing on set, and he used to just try to, you know, be polite and, you know, until they say caught, because the Muppet Room was right on set. But anyway, my mother loved Jerry, she never met him personally but she talked to him um, a few times on the phone and she used to like tell me, oh my God, that Jerry, that sexy voice. I'm gonna call him sexy voice. (laughs) So um, I just uh, wanted to share that story that I miss you sexy voice. Early 1960s basket houses. I used to play guitar in the basket houses in the village. This was in the early 1960s when Richie Havens was playing at the Café Wa, Patrick Skye, Jesse Colling Young, Dave Brumberg, John Hammond, Sean Phillips. All those cads were playing at the Gaslight, Gertie's Folk City, places like that. The basket houses were clubs that they were essentially coffee houses, and they wouldn't pay you anything to play there. But they would let you do your thing and then pass a basket around. I never made much money doing it, but it was like a test to myself to prove that I had the brass to do it.
0: Thanks, Carmen. Coming up a little later on Below the Frame, we're going to hear another story by Jerry, this time set to music and read by the man himself. We were talking with Leslie Carrara Rudolph about her decision to move to Florida and work at Walt Disney World.
2: So anyway, so went to Disney.
0: In Florida, you went to Orlando.
2: I performed at the Adventures Club, which is roughly a 1940s um, social club that we improv from seven o'clock at night till one o'clock in the morning in different characters. A lot of people thought it was the game of Clue. I played the maid, Dusty Cabinet Sanitation (laughs) Technician. I played Camille Perkins Club President, Adventurous, Extraordinaire, Samantha Sterling or Mandora and different characters. And we had, we did, that became my theater family and we would do improv and interact with the audience. I got, we got trained by amazing people that will come in and train us in improv. We spent 12 hours in character only being able to be in the forties, you know, so you had to use human experience and what's in arm's length and all these things. So it was hog heaven, but I really miss working with kids. So every time Disney, I came up for my thing. I was like, this is great, but I'm working in a bar. I really want to work with kids. So then they would pull me and they'd say, okay, you're going to be in the Disney marketplace. And I'm like, great. I'm going to be Wop Frog, the storyteller, the elf. And so, that, that, so then I was creating characters then for them, again, obsessed with the Muppets. This is quickly. It's going to make sense. I'm doing it really quick. So then someone, they were doing the Mickey Mouse Club again and they were having auditions for audience warm up. And so I said, I want to do that. So I went into audition for audience warmup and they said, no, we're going to put you in the show as these different characters. And I'm like, ew, I don't want to. But I was Carol Frady in the Frady Buns. So I was Christine Aguilera's mother. And then I was Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears' mom in a liquid meat commercial. Yeah, it happened. And, but the writers for that show said, If you why are you in Florida? If you are ever in California, please call us up. And I'm like, okay, whatever. It's like the Norman Lear thing. I'm like, sure, I'm going to do okay. that.
0: How long were you there working uh, at the uh, Adventures Club? Like
2: two or three years, and then for then, then I stopped working at the Adventures Club, and I worked. Um, I I kind of freelanced. Then they put me in the Hoop Dee Doo Review, mm-hmm. so I was in the Hoop Dee Doo, and then I said, you know, I really miss working with kids. So then I vol. I started working at this local arts thing, and then I got involved in the community theater, and I did. Parallel Lives with Paula Pell. Oh
0: Yeah. Paula Pell is a, is a writer and performer. She's a writer for SNL, right? Yes. So she was. Is she still? Yes.
2: Well, she was. Ironically, she worked at the Adventures Club, and I was hired to replace her. Oh, God. It was so bad. I actually signed a petition going, she's the funniest person <laughs> in the world. Fire whoever you've hired.
0: You guys are friends, though. And by the so- way, it's
2: me. Fire yeah. me. <laughs> uh, we did, and then we auditioned for Parallel Lives, which is the Kathy and Mo show. And we did that show, and it was one of those moments in time that you'll go, "Oh my God, this is one of these unforgettable moments." Where Paula and I were standing backstage, and you've seen the show. There are angels that decide what's going, and we have these giant angel wings, and we we're standing backstage. And I go, "Pollywog, how how do you how do you think some people make it?" And she's like, "Well, that's – I think like sometimes you're just born into it. You know, you your father was in the and sometimes." you know, you are just the right place at the right time or something. And sometimes you're just meant to be. And I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Anyway, we did the show. I ended up going to uh California, you know, um to visit my friend and go to Disneyland, of course.
0: <laughs> Why wouldn't you?
2: Right? <laughs> I called these writer guys. They said, they took me, they said, we're going to set up meetings for you. I'm like, what? <laughs> So I went on a couple meetings. I met with somebody, one of the animation directors, I think it was Joel. I can't remember. And he says, if you're in California, we will hire you as a voiceover person. Because I do The Wizard of Oz in three minutes. And that was okay. kind of like my, that's how my hook to get kids to listen to me. And um, and I lived with my best friend. And then these, the, these writer guys started taking me to places. Um, I met. Someone from HBO, and he says, look, we have an HBO workspace, which is like a Comedy Central. We have a theater here. Why don't you let your girl put something up there? And um, we will bring people to see what she can do. (laughs) Also before, Sandy Fox, I don't know if you know Sandy Fox. I don't, know. She used to work at um, the Adventures Club where I was, and she started dating Kirk Thatcher. Really? Yes. (laughs) Kirk Thatcher was working on this new show called Muppets Tonight.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Right. So I go, hey, Sandy, how are you doing? I'm in California. And she's like, and she played Betty Boop. And so she's like, oh, my goodness, my my boyfriend is working on this show and you've always wanted to be a Muppet. You know, I'm like, yeah, I have because I knew when I was driving cross country, Matt, I was Muppets the Works. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in my journal. I've always kept a journal. I wrote I would fit in here like I wish I could find a way to fit in here. This world has always called me. Always. Every single thing. I, I, like my, I was such a Muppet nerd. we go to everything.
0: You, you, then you make it to LA, and your friend calls and you and says, and I, my boyfriend yeah. is working on a show called Muppets Tonight. What do you do? Yeah.
2: I freak out because I'm like, someone read my journal. <laughs> so I think my first meeting, I think I might have had a meeting with Kirk and... Dick Busucci, maybe, and I had a suitcase filled with puppets that were made out of slippers, all found objects, weird, and they were just like clinically insane. <laughs> Next, you know, I think they were like. I really don't know what to think of this right now. And then I had the HBO workspace thing where it's like, oh, well, I kind of know what to think of this now, you know, in context, you know, and then from that, I went to a cattle call. So they were seeing 10 people every half hour for two days. (laughs) And you had to prepare a monologue and a song.
0: Did they ask you to put a puppet on your hand any in that?
2: They didn't say, they were just seeing comedians at this point. I, I, from what I understand, they, for me, I was like, oh my God, I, I actually wrote this in my journal and it's actually happening two weeks later. And I was shaking, you know, and like Paul and I had just finished Parallel Lives, you know, just to finish it. So I'm like, Polly Walk, you won't believe this. I have an audition for the, well, not really. It's a cattle call, but it could right. happen because you won't believe this. They're flying me up for S- SNL. You know, Lauren Michaels wants to meet me as a writer, and I was like, oh, "What? It's like we had to wait." Oh my god! So then they had a cattle call. Bill Barretta was at that cattle call. They were putting us on tape for, for my hi. My name is Leslie Carr, and for my um, monologue, I will do be doing a piece from The Wizard of Oz. <laughs> so then, did I you did do three
0: movie. minutes? Awesome.
2: And for my song, he goes, "That's not necessary. Come and sit down." why are you like this? Tell me. <laughs> he goes, tell me, Uh, why are you like this? <laughs> I was almost like, it was, maybe it wasn't that, but I was like, oh my gosh. And then, you know, then Christina Beretta says, I saw the tape and I told Billy and Brian that they should bring this. Person in. <laughs> so then I got called back and it was just 20 people. And at that call back was Alan Trotman, uh, Martin Baker, Brian Henson. You know, I was just like, I was I was beyond freaked out at that point. I was just trying to hold it together because to me, I was like, this is like meeting Jim Henson. I'm meeting Brian Henson. I'm meeting, you know, and you know, I, I probably should have talked more about my obsession with puppets and characters and stuff like that. But this was just like, I can't believe this is happening to me because there was so many dark journeys in between um, and so then they had us put a puppet on. And they did have us put a puppet on in that one audition. We put it mm-hmm. on, we stood in a mirror, and we counted to 10 and did the okay. ABCs.
0: Just a basic test.
2: Yeah. It was just like, do you have eye hand eye yeah. coordination? It was a terrible test, you know? So then <laughs> then at the callback, we did improv with above our heads. And I'm looking up. There's a right. mirror in front of us, but I'm looking up. I don't know to look at a mirror. Never done this before. There was no YouTube clips, there was no school. I'm from Northern California, there was no, no even puppet anything except for Louis Malin and Fairyland. For the love <laughs> God, so then, um, then there was a- another call back, and it was just me and Louisette from um, the Groundlings, beautiful blonde improviser, me totally dorky in overalls and <laughs> a tick lunchbox because I had no money. And we had a monitor day where we were going to have monitor from 10 to 12, take a break, and then one to three. And it was supposed to be with Kevin, which I might not be here if it was. Because <laughs> he would just said, like, forget it. No.
0: Crazy.
2: I love Kevin. But, um, uh, but it was with Bill. And he taught us the basics, walking through the monitor, doing all those things and everything. And then they said, okay, we're going to take a lunch break. Um, do you want to go to lunch? And I was like, no, I didn't have the money for lunch. Mm. And I didn't, I was too embarrassed and shy. And, um, I'm like, no, I'm just going to stay here. I brought a peanut peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And so while they were at lunch, I was in that monitor. He goes, well, I'll leave it on if you want to practice. Hell yeah. The whole time I practice, I practice, I practice. And so I thought, first of all, she's gorgeous. I won't get this job. (laughs) I gave it to her. I did a Hollywood thing myself. (laughs) And then he, uh, they came back, and in the second round, she's like, Oh, my arm hurts, and I was like,
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> And then that was it. And then you got I, the show, and that was my training, Matt.
0: That was your training a couple of hours,
2: that was it. And then I was thrown into Muppets. The, the, the first time I was brought in, it was like before everything, there was a, a heap of. Puppets on the table, right? I walk in. Nobody knows who I am. I have a fish for a purse. People are like, maybe she's an intern. Maybe she's going to get us water. Why? We don't know who this person is. Um, and it's Dave Goals, Bill Beretta, Brian Henson, Frank Oz, Steve Whitmire, uh, Kevin Clash.
0: I don't know any of those people. Who are they?
2: People that <laughs> I wore four pairs of underwear that day. Oh, my, my goodness. Braid. And I just sat there and I was like, this is a nightmare. And Did
0: you were, ever get up and grab a puppet or were you just like, I can't even get up there?
2: I couldn't even get up. I oh just sat God. there and then they were they were brainstorming. And I've actually told this story before, so you might have heard it. They were brainstorming on um, characters for a new space episode. And they were saying, well, what if the character just had a brain? You know? And, you know, a body was just a brain. It's too bad we don't have a brain. And I'm like, I have one in my fish! <laughs> and then it was the first thing you said, and they just, like, looked at me. And I actually had, because you know I carry oh, so yeah, I, everything. Oh, everything. Because what if I'm on Let's Make a Deal? That's so right. I, have, I had a plastic brain that I, that bubblegum was in, but then I ate the bubblegum, and then I used to keep my half-baked ideas in there. I would write things down. <laughs> and I had that, but my Fish also had a screaming axe in it. So um, so if I dropped it or someone tried to seal it, it was <laughs> so I said, let me get it. And as I reached into my fish and pulled out the brain, it screamed and I went, <laughs> <laughs> And Kevin just just like had that look like <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Give me that brain. Right. And then he took it
0: <laughs> and he used it.
2: Yeah. And then, then the end cut to like the next day. So this like you better edit this because this is way too long, Matt. I'm so sorry. Every day I was like, "There's no way I'm gonna be I'm gonna be fired." Like I don't even know why I'm here. So then, 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 the very next one was there was a read through. Of course, I didn't say anything. I think I read for Spamula because I think that was probably why they took me because they were thinking like, "Wow, I'm kind of like oh, wouldn't it be nice to have a female with it? like, oh, I'm a pig with no neck and hooters," <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so I did read that which was kind of like, whew, I did something funny. Then it was shooting and I wasn't tall enough. And they threw me into my first scene. They handed me New Zealand. I wasn't tall enough. They gave me Karen Perl's boots. So I'm like, I'm wearing Red Fraggles boots. I'm <laughs> holding New Zealand. I've had five hours of monitor. Oh my goodness. Go stand next to animal. Oh gosh. because I'm just like, this is gonna be an epic fire. This isn't gonna be great. And um, but he says, Um,
4: can I please have a bunny to put in this hand?
2: You know. So <laughs> he decided that Animal through the through the meeting was just gonna go, bunny, bunny and just scream and do bunny and like, thank God they're gonna be watching that.
1: Louise <laughs> right. <Lucila's> like ah <laughs>
2: So that but I was staying with my my best friend and I had to commute in from kind of near Anaheim, near Disneyland. And
1: um, (laughs) this is an ad for Disneyland.
2: um, So I would get in super early and they gave me my own dressing room and then there was a bathroom and then there was Jerry Nelson's room.
0: Yeah. So Jerry Nelson, you got to know him on the show.
2: Yeah. I would come in super early because I would have to beat the traffic Mm -hmm. for Los Angeles. And I'd go and I'd sit in my room and I'd sit there and all of a sudden I would listen. Jerry played music and sang every morning. And I would just like lean up against the bathroom door and listen to him sing, you know, and I would come out and I'm like, hi, you know, And it was just like and I just I I thought, you know, this moment, I'm just going to suck in every moment. And then he was just really, you know, I, I think because he saw me, I'm like, that was a great song and all that stuff. He he actually noticed and talked to me. It's not that everybody was so busy they were doing a new show. They had characters. They had scripts. Nobody had time to teach me, oh, yeah, we're going to help this girl. Nobody had time. You know, they, they had puppeteers that came in that were excited to be working on this. And if they got to it, they would maybe, Drew Massey maybe would help me whenever he could. But they were too busy being excited and freaked out to be on this Muppet show. So Bill would always put me in the back. You know, when he'd come up, you're a cow. Cows like to eat paper and then I walk around, I'm like, well, I guess I'll be eating paper this whole time, and I figure out how to eat paper. Kevin had too much to do. I was the last pick for every team, like, I don't want listening on my team, she's an idiot, you know, and Jerry's like, I'll take her to right-hand me, and he always picked me. He goes, look what you have in your, under your own part. I have this fresh, like, I showered and I smell like, like a jolly rancher, you know, and he just always picked me and helped me, and and watched me and 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 asked me what I was doing because I was still doing comedy and I was still doing stuff. He introduced me to Jackie Chan, not personally, just the movie.
0: <laughs> right. So he, he took an interest in you and and I think he could see that you maybe felt a little bit adrift.
2: I just stayed on set and watched and devoured everything. I'm like, listen, this is a masterclass. This is a gift from God. Somebody read my journal. This is, a, I don't know who it was. I remember I pick angel cards, right? Every day I pick an angel card. And that day I remember going, okay, Miss you know, Jim, if you, what should I remember? What angel, please pick an angel for me. What do I remember when I'm going on this audition? And I picked the adventure card. And it's the angel with the walking stick. And I'm like, this is an adventure. Just like anything in life, you take that walking stick and how the attitude that you brace yourself to do it. That's what you're going to do. And Jerry would see me, like I would pick up puppets. And Kevin would say, you know, Ryan said, we're going to put a monitor in your room. Go get puppets. And so they saw me going back and forth to the Muppet Workshop, taking puppets, trying them on. I had a little notebook that I made. I still have it. It's in my art room of all the female characters. And I wrote little bios for them and stories about them and voices. I thought if I ever get my chance, I'm going to pitch that um, I built my first Muppet in the Muppet workshop because Heather Henson said that we're doing a puppet slam. I don't have a puppet. She says, then make one. So Paul Hardis, Pookie, helped me learn how to carve foam. But I mean, I've always been through the arts. Like, I, you know, my pipe cleaners, sculptures and stuff. I Sculpting has always been my favorite thing. I've always worked in clay. I I put part of me putting myself through school was working at a ceramic studio, making plat pits.
0: but being in this, in this environment where it's kind of the top, this is the top of the heap. Yeah. And you are, like you said, you're getting this masterclass experience. And then you're also really still trying to pull from the puppet making side and the character building side and and the observation.
2: Yeah. And this was, was, was super key. Like, you know, Bill would say, you know, just start watching people, notice their style, see what you like. And Bill knew that I was coming at from a theatrical acting point of view, because that's where he came. And, you know, I realized I really love Johnny Fiamma. He goes pick and choose. you know, he would just lean in and goes pick and choose with that moment, you know, and he would do something or, you know, Kevin would sometimes they would like drop little things in my ear, and that became my masterclass for the day. And, um, so I remember the first time I made a cross correctly, it was a big deal. It was like for Muppets, it was Dr. Phil Van Neuter, And I was I was a dog running in with a, coming in with a gurney or whatever. And I had to make this cross and I had to look to more than one monitor. And I did it. And afterwards, Kevin goes, oh, my God, you did it. He was like, I can't
4: believe it. Oh, I'm so proud of you. And I was just
2: like, oh, I did it. And then Kevin had noticed I kept taking Spamala back and forth. And one time he says, you know, let me see what you're going to do with it. And this was towards the end of the first season.
0: How did they do Spamala up to this point?
2: So what they would do is Kevin would put Spamala on and I would perform Spamala and he would catch my voice in real time. He had to be keen in me. Kevin's was like, don't you dare improv. Don't you do anything <laughs> but X ex- <laughs> the
0: flip. Say the words. <laughs> so,
2: I mean, and just like the way you were with Jerry. Yep. So I think... Through that, he was forced. I forced him to laugh at me.
1: <laughs> I forced him to get you have to be
2: in my world. He's like, She's a crazy woman. So, um, but because so, that's
0: not normally how we do it anyway, no, it's normally the voice and the performance, it's, it's they're married, it's the same person.
2: It's like I, it was like it was finally towards the end of the second season, and I can't even believe they gave me this chance. But I was just, I was non stop, Matt. I, I didn't, I just thought. It's sink or swim. I'm p- throwing. I'm all in. That's all I cared about. Hmm. But yeah, then finally he handed it to me. He had me do it. And he goes, okay, I'm going home. I'm like, you're going home? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to stay here. Drew, help her. You know? My very first thing that he had to lip sync to was the lactose intolerant cow, <laughs> which sounded like a cowism. It was like, oh, <gasps> and here I'm on set. Making these noises! As a oh cow. my! It sounds like she's having the thrill of her life. Not,
1: uh, I yeah.
2: can't wait to catch it. And all these like people are looking around, like, what is happening? To this <laughs> person? And I'm not. And I'm sitting on a bucket. I'm not even sitting on an apple box. It looks like I have problems. <laughs> um, and then the t- turning point at point to in that was through Jerry. First of all, just taking me under his wing or cape. Um, that was the Pierce Brosnan show. And a lot of times the puppets would be dressed and they'd be out and you could kind of go ahead of time and look at the characters. And there was this one character that I just loved. I thought she was wonderful. And I had already written
1: something for her.
2: I already had a mini bladder was in it. And, um and it was. she had this gold lamé thing. She had this long beak. She had a dress that was way too tight and inappropriate <laughs> for her shape. And, um, and so Jerry saw me playing around with it, and then I put it down. And then it came time to stand back, and Bill says, okay, go pick a puppet. And then Dave Goals went over, and he picked that puppet, and I went. Oh. And Jerry saw that, and he looked at me, and he went over to Dave, and he goes, hey, Dave, do you mind um, – I'm going to less and I were kind of working on something together with this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jerry Nelson was such an observer and a, appreciator. He could see, could see something in you. He's yeah. a good guy.
2: Ended up sitting right. We ended up, then he goes and stands right next to Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> so we're right next to him. <laughs> and what was so great was that, you know how it is when you, um, when you have a character, especially for your listeners, when you have a character that's new and you're getting to know it, the reason we improvise or talk or get things up is we're trying to see what the best angles of the character is, how it moves. It's an instrument. It's a musical instrument and they all play differently. And so in order to feel the character, especially the one-offs, you put them on and try them out. So that meant that Jerry and I were improvising a lot in between and it was ridiculous and it was (laughs) hilarious. And I was like, this is what I love.
0: And you got to do the rest of Muppets tonight. How many seasons did they do? Three seasons? Um, Two. Two Um, seasons.
2: Yeah, we did two seasons of Muppets tonight and then everything (laughs) ended abruptly. (laughs) Everything was just like, Oh, back to painting windows back to teaching water fitness at the YMCA for ladies. I just went back to reality. And then I was thought, I'm gonna go back home because I'm not a Los Angeles person. I I just didn't I didn't once I once I found puppetry and the Muppets, it was like I just I love characters. And it didn't matter what I looked like. It didn't matter anything. I, you know, I I'm I could live in a baseball hat. I do, you know, I, the fact of having to dress and get in character to go to auditions and commercials. And I didn't have a lot of confidence in the, in the way I looked or I just wasn't, it was never about me. It was always through me. I always feel like it's not, it's not me doing these things. It's me just being the facilitator for joy. And so I, I said, I'm going to go home, but I'm up tonight. I accidentally met. Paul Rudolph, the love of my life.
0: Yes. So you met your husband, Paul, on the show. How did that happen?
2: It happened slowly um, because obviously I was not focused on anything except for that. And, you know, I had had, let's just say I had another life Mm -hmm. (laughs) before. I had like, really have had about six or seven different lives.
0: It's almost like you're a cat.
2: It is. Like, I mean, I have a big band life that i have been talked about i had another you know i have all these different things that i would do um but speaking of big band so i love big band music and jazz and music and stuff and tony bennett was on the show and i being from california my dad being italian you can imagine what that was
0: oh like. my yes you know,
2: and we grew up with music in the house and all that stuff and so i um Paul Rudolph was our uh, assistant musical director. And so he would call us in to go to these records, which were at Capitol Records, the house that Frank built. And so I would sit there. And a lot of times I wouldn't even get to sing because the guys would sing. in Paul said, oh, you can't see my face right now. But it's heartbreaking. <laughs> and so Paul started writing notes that I could sing. You know, and like, oh, I think we're gonna that are in a different register. These guys may have this, but then we're gonna add this. We're gonna fill out the thing. So I started getting to sing a little more. And um, anyway, Paul had gotten all these albums for Tony Bennett to sign, and I was like, where did you get those? Like, oh my gosh, you know, can I? I want to get one for my dad. I want to give it to him for Christmas. You know, to have him sign it to our. This will this will blow him away. And he goes, oh, here, take this one. (laughs) And I'm like. Oh, Oh, okay. And then I was like, gosh, he's so nice and he's so sweet. And then a lot of times, you know, I don't know if you realize on Muppets Tonight, we had a lot of live music on stage. You know, Ralph Sharon played for Tony Bennett, his musical director. So we had a grand piano on stage for Ralph Sharon to play. Or maybe it wasn't Ralph Sharon. I can't remember. I know his drummer played. But um, so Tony Bennett sang on stage.
0: He really was singing live. Yes. And the music was live.
2: Yes. So it wasn't that wasn't like Garth Brooks, like was pre-recorded, which that was a great Jerry Nelson moment. You know, I just stayed in the recording studio when Garth Brooks was singing. Me and Jerry were like, this is cool. But um, Paul sometimes would play piano and I would sing standards and stuff. And we were like, wow, you like standards. I like standards. And then um, I think it was the second season, the closing season of Muppets Night. And then he'd go, hey, do you want to go to this live performance? And hey, do you want to do this? And he came to my I had another HBO workspace show. Um, he came to that, you know, uh, I, while I was doing Muppets Tonight, I was still doing those things. Um, and then um, then he put together a band for our rap party. And it was Paul played Vibes. I sang. Bill Barretta sang. Uh, Richard uh, Gibbs, he played for Oingo Boingo. You know that, right? Oh,
0: no, I didn't know that.
2: Yeah. He played with Danny Alpha. And he played keyboards. Okay. And he, in Oingo Boingo and for this band and I think Dick Blasucci played guitar it was really crazy and so we had a couple songs we were singing I had I don't know where I got off singing it's not easy being green but I did but you, you know, did but I did in a in the in a big band stand it's not easy being green I did a different you know what if I were in the 40s singing it and then Paul says oh I have a song that I'm going to dedicate to Leslie and I was like what? And so, not only if you haven't witnessed Paul Rudolph play the vibraphone, that's something ladies and men throw their undergarments at him <laughs> while doing it. But I was oh, he likes me. Then he sang this song called Kisses Sweeter Than Wine. And I was like, I can't believe this. And I was just kind of, because we were like, we're just friends. That's where that he did that. You know, he invited me on a hike. And I'm like, Paul was always organizing hikes for everybody. And this one hikey organized, there was nobody but me. I'm
0: Just like, you. Oh. I didn't
2: know it was a date until like seven hours in. <laughs> and then I was like, that was December 1st, 1996. And we've been together ever since.
0: That's so, so beautiful.
2: It's beautiful. <laughs> it is Paul's really a great
0: wonderful. guy. I love He's Paul.
2: really wonderful. I, I think it's a, we both have a passion for the arts. We both know to surrender to what we love and we have such huge respect for everybody's work. And I, I will say this. It was like when Carmen was talking about sitting and watching these great performers do their thing. Something happens to you where you're just like, you don't even realize you're learning what you're learning or feeling what you're feeling. And you just say, I don't, this is where I want to be. You know, it ended, but then I had my puppets and I just went and tried to create my own thing. I went and ended up doing um, search for signs of intelligent life, which was the hardest play I've ever done at the same theater that had Paul Appel and I do. And that was really hard. And then while I was down there, I got a call for, to audition for Dr. Seuss the second season. And I did. Yeah. And I didn't, I hadn't been to New York, and I didn't think I'd get the job, but it was a free trip to New York. And so I I went, and I ended up getting the job. Yeah. I auditioned for Bear in the Big Blue House at the same time. But Kathy Mullen wanted to direct, and so I ended up being more, the elephant bird and Little Cat A. I lived with my friend's parents because I didn't have a place to stay. I didn't have money, and I was afraid of transportation because I get lost because I'm dyslexic, and I didn't know right. this. How would you know? I lived in Murray Hill in their little apartment and I would walk to and from, and I carried a giant plastic reindeer. That's another story. So people (laughs) wouldn't bother me. And then, uh, but then I even did stand up in the city.
0: You did. did Oh, at Caroline's. Wow. At
2: Caroline's in Broadway. I I did it because some of my, some of the people kind of knew, well, let's it's character night. She's here, you know, get her up there. Yeah. And so people came, I think people started to realize like people at first thinking like she's Is she on is she this and I was like no and I think too I've always dressed kind of whimsical just because I started painting my shoes when I started going into schools and talking to kids because I painted over the labels we could never afford labels and labels were like people I never I always wanted kids like you don't have to have expensive things and so it's just all it's just kind of who I am but when I got hired on Dr. Seuss I was terrible I was still, I wasn't good enough. You know, I mean, I met Marty and Pam and Tim and Nappy. And that's when I realized like, oh my gosh, I will say this. And young puppeteers, you should do this too. As soon as I got the job on Muppets Tonight, I joined the Los Angeles Guild of Puppetry. And I met Frank Oz's dad at my very first guild meeting. And, and what
0: um, does that do for you to join the, the a puppetry guild?
2: First of all, you should join puppeteers of America or join a local guild. You'll meet people who are like you. You will meet people who will take the art form to a whole new level. Um, you know, uh, Philip Huber, uh, Ronnie Burkett, like Philip Huber had Taffy, the dog. I was smitten. My mom and I were like, Oh, my mom went with me by the way to these things. And, um, you you will see the world in a different way and you'll see shadow puppetry. You'll see, like, what we do is television-style Muppets. and
0: but there are so many other kinds and styles right. of puppetry that are out there that are equally valid and beautiful and theatrical.
2: Yeah, and the people are incredibly loving and nurturing and, and wanting to help introduce you, like, welcome to our world. It's almost creepy and cult-like. <laughs> but they do and that's kind of what happened when I went to to Dr. Seuss. I met Marty and Pam and then Pam's like, you need to know about the needle. I'm like, I don't know anything. And then um, Kevin said, he called John Kennedy. He goes, Leslie, I said that she could make it on this show, but she's not good enough. He just blatantly said, she doesn't have the chops. Please help her. And so John Kennedy, every weekend, spent every weekend with me on Dr. Seuss, teaching me monitor skills, helping me with doing me tricks. Like he helped me immensely. And then again, now I'm watching other great people. So I'm only as good as the people around me.
0: We'll be back with my interview with Leslie Carrara Rudolph in, in a bit. But first... You know, so far in our episodes featuring Jerry Nelson, someone shares a memory of Jerry and reads a story that he wrote. And then at this point, in fact, uh, we hear a song played and sung by Jerry. And when we were putting the podcast together, I was speaking with Jerry's wife, Jan, and saying, you know, how we wished that there was a recording of Jerry reading his stories. And then Jan remembered that actually Jerry had recorded one of his stories. Uh, on his friend Andy Solberg's album. And it's the one that you're going to hear today. The story takes place in New York City in the early 1970s. And it comes from an album, a jazz album called Headwaters, that uh, a friend of Jerry's, Andy Solberg, released in 2005. And uh, track six of that album, you're hearing it play now. It's called Stomping on the East Side. And I'm going to play the part of the song that features Jerry Nelson. Here it is.
4: I'm headed uptown on the Eastside IND subway. One of those old IND cars with a vestibule at both ends, so you know it was a while ago. Yeah, they were still running them trains into the 60s, maybe. There's some seats, but I'm standing. You know, I like to feel the goingness of my subway journey. Well, I'm standing there holding on to the pole in the center of the car, just about opposite the first couple of seats there in the first half of the car. The train pulls out of the station and away we go, bumping and rattling on our way uptown. I'm minding my own business, looking at the ads like any good traveler, not trying to confront anybody by looking right at him. but I can't help noticing this little cat to my left. He's on the nod. I guess he's dreaming of a better life than the one he's been dealt. Now these older trains had loosened up a bit in their long time service so when they started clipping it up down they had a good bit of shake, rattle and roll through them and this little cat on the nod, well, his body was following along with this movement. I'll tell you, this little cat was shaking and moving and grooving. Yeah, he was the boppinest little subway dancer I'd ever seen and he's totally on the nod, yeah. I'm thinking, man, yeah, dance those needle dreams, baby. All of a sudden the train went bling, bling, bling to the left and the little cat sat almost straight up, then it bling to the right and the little cat was flipping and flying out of the seat and onto the floor, kaboom, right on his head, right in front of me, well I'm trying to do the Samaritan so I reached down to give the little cat a hand up, help him back to his seat, but the little cat looks at me and He's looking at me with fear and trepidation. I can see by the look he gives me, he thinks that I'm the cause of his sudden displacement and discomfort. He thinks maybe that I knocked him down to take his seat or his stash or his money or his dreams or whatever he had that he thought I might be after. Well, he crabbed away from me and he got up and scuttled down to the front of the car, to the vestibule, making sure I wasn't coming after him. Every once in a while, he's peeking around the corner to make sure he's safe. I felt bad for the little cat, but I didn't feel guilty because I didn't do anything. Meanwhile, I hear a conversation in my right across the aisle from where the little cat had been. These two people talking to each other. They're both talking at the same time, but they're going opposite directions. There's an elderly black gentleman. He's talking to a middle-aged white woman. He's saying to her, <laughs> I've been riding the subway a lot of years. I ain't never seen nobody fall over on their head before. You see that? He fell right on his head. <laughs> I've
3: never seen that.
4: <laughs> and the lady, she's talking to him simul at the same time, sleep, but she's going the other way. She's saying, oh dear, did you see that poor man? Oh dear, that must have hurt. I hope he's all right. Oh, the poor thing. Well, I don't know, I pondered on it, but
1: the
4: best I could come up with was what my friend Dick Solberg refers to as one of the vicissitudes of life.
0: Thanks to Andy Solberg for letting us play some of Stompin' on the East Side, featuring the voice of our friend, Jerry Nelson.
1: Below the frame.
0: We're back with Leslie Carrara Rudolph, and before the break she'd mentioned how she's only as good as the people around her. I think that's true. I think that's true for all of us. We're only as good as the group that we are around that we put ourselves in and around. Yeah. And observation is a huge part of what we do.
2: Yeah, I took a muppet workshop, one of those workshops, cuz when I was in LA Kevin goes, "We're doing a workshop in New York. You should come." I'm like, "Huh? Oh, that's this weekend. I have no money. I have a credit card. It's a workshop. Workshop means I'm going to learn something." <laughs> I went there and there was people from all over the world and they were cutting people every half hour who had far more monitor skills than I did. And it was so embarrassing because I clearly was not at the level these people were. And here I was on Muppets tonight. I even had a Muppet Jim Henson jacket. This not a lot of people know. I wore it on the plane going to the workshop. On that plane, I looked over and I see Sherry Lewis in first class. I freak out. I was just like, oh, "Sherry Lewis!" So I went back. I sat in my little economy seat. I began writing a note. You know, dear Sherry Lewis, Lamb Chop. You know, you know, because of course she's a brilliant comedian. Sherry Lewis, Nightclub Lap. I mean, my influences: Lolly Lard Pop and are Sherry Lewis and um, Madam.
0: Oh yeah, like Lamb Raven Chop, flowers, Madam. Adam. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Waylon Flower, genius, genius. And I got to know him through Tom Fountain through the LA Guild of Puppetry because Tom Fountain is, knows everything about Madam. He showed me all the tapes, showed me Crazy Mary. He used to work with, the, yeah, he knows everything. So they will introduce you to your other loves. Anyway, I gave the note to the flight attendant. I go, can I ask you to give this note to Miss Sherry Lewis? And she goes, are you the girl with, with the... Jim Henson jacket she would like to speak to you I'll come get you later in the in the flight and I'm like <laughs> and halfway through the flight they came and got me I went up I kneeled down I didn't realize she was I think she was ill at the time she says let me see your hand I put my hand up and she put her hand next to mine on my hand Cherry Lewis put her hand on my hand she says your hand is too big for lamb chop and then she held my hand and she says you know you have a great responsibility with what you're able to do here. To, and I hope you use your powers, like not use your powers for courage because I hope you use it well and for love, you know, and I just like, I will, you know,
0: Well, it's know. all, it's all part of the thing that you said, even back to Norman Lear, you know, yeah, it's, it's just that through line for you.
2: Like, I knew where I was when I heard Sherry Lewis. When Sherry Lewis passed away, I was making my very first, I was gutting a stuffed animal and making a little dog puppet because I got hired to do a, in my hometown, to do a a Bible camp. A musical God spell with me and a dog. And and I was just like, oh, my God. So, anyway, that happened. And then I went to that workshop and I was awful. It was embarrassing that I was kept being, being kept.
0: But, you know, here's the thing, though. And I've talked about this on the podcast before. There are two buckets that you need to have. There's the technical bucket of knowing how to work on a monitor and lip sync and choreography and, you know, all the little puppet tricks we have. And then there's the character bucket and filling that bucket up with bold characters and exciting things and just stuff that are creative. And, and and it's always, always a, an effort, a struggle sometimes even, to make those ba- buckets balance and sometimes you know, the character bucket's a lot more strong than the, than the technical bucket and sometimes vice versa. And we're always working to try to get, like balance those two buckets on our shoulders. Do you know what I mean? Yeah,
2: exactly. And then for me, like, you know, like I said, the characters have been my resilience through this whole time. So when I don't have confidence, even to this day, I don't, you know, if I were to go to write a show or a cabaret, if it, were, if it were about Leslie, I would never do it but because lolly's like you got to do this cuz i need to be out here you know it's like you have a story to tell so i always i always say it's not about me it's through me and then i give my character's intention so if i'm going to do something there's a mission state behind it there's a why am i telling this story what's the point why is it a puppet and not a character so I knew that when I went through this, can you hear Paul making a sandwich? I have
1: to make sandwich.
0: <laughs> he has to make sandwich. <laughs> it's sandwich time. <laughs> this
1: is the moment.
0: This is the time for all of you home listening or wherever you are, it's time to make a sandwich.
1: A lot of the
2: times we use a sandwich instead of a monitor. <laughs> Sorry, I was trying to tie it into some of your commercials.
0: Thank you. I okay, appreciate it.
2: So, now <laughs> well, I forgot. Well, that's okay.
0: You oh, know what? You mentioned Lolly. You mentioned know, Lolly. Wait, what the heck is that?
2: Stop. I want to go back to that workshop because this is oh, important. Go ahead. Okay. Go
0: back to the workshop.
2: So I, I, And a lot of people, I know they feel them at the workshop where you're like, why am I here? This is a nightmare. I followed my dream. I thought, oh, my gosh. And you're sitting there and your life's being sucked out of you and you're like. "And But at that workshop, I thought, well, this is where I am. I was staying the, with Paula Pell, by the way. Because I didn't know anyone in New York, in Paula, New York. It was during a snowstorm. And um, we got tapioca pudding with Tammy Faye, which was interesting. And I just sat there wrong. Tammy Faye. Did I say Tammy Faye? Tammy Faye
0: Baker. You Tina did. Faye. Oh, Tina Faye. See, yeah. you did say Tammy Faye, and I was literally thinking of Tammy Faye Baker.
1: My
2: story, I drove Tammy Faye Baker in a Paul's now trying to get into my podcast talking about how he drove Tammy Faye Baker in a limo. But from-
0: you did not want, you weren't yeah. eating tapioca pudding with Tammy Faye, but with Tina Faye.
2: With Tina Faye. Anyway, <laughs> long story short, long story, super long. <laughs> um,
0: the workshop.
2: So, the workshop. So i I was just trying to, and someone had said to me, I will not say who, I hope you're grateful that you're here because you obviously don't have the skill set that you need to be here and a lot of other people do and they aren't where you are. And it was clearly someone who was very upset that I had the job that I had and I can't say and it can, but it came from a good place but still it was like ah! and I'm like and I just looked and I said you have no idea what I've done to be here or my journey and I think it's absolutely obviously obvious, I don't have the skill set. So I'm really grateful. And let's see what I do with it. Let's wow. see what I do with it. So then I went into the bathroom and cried. Oh. like I just like, I can't go in there. I can't go in there. This is humiliating. I'm so embarrassed. I've've I've you know, I just like I've totally embarrassed the Muppet community. Um, I, I shouldn't be here. I don't know what they're saying about me. I mean, I was just like every demon that you could possibly, like seagulls at the dump were picking at me, splashed my face. I went in there, um, sat there, and this was an angel moment. They were singing, and Heather Ash was, had to, like, we had to come back for a break, and Heather Ash put her puppet on, and she sang, I know a boy named Frank Mills and she sat there and she was so still and so beautiful. And I was like, wow, she's amazing. I just love how much she cared. And I was sobbing. Right. Mm-hmm. So thank God I had a reason to justify why my eyes were crying. Cause I was crying at an appointment and I, you know, so I kind of covered it and, you know, he goes, that's a beautiful character voice. And, and he goes, I just want to say something and, 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 Kevin, because he looked over at me, and I don't know if he had read that I was feeling a little extra, and he says, you know, Leslie is on Muppets Tonight with us, and she's not a good puppeteer yet, you know, he's like, she's not, she doesn't have the technical skill that she needs to have to be there, but she, but you know what she has? Characters. She has characters. She shows up every day with her characters. She shows up with angel cards. She's like she's crazy, positive, you know. And I was just like, so he either I don't know what happened, or if it was my brother in heaven, or right whoever was falling. Like, let's give it. And and then I just went, you know, because I was like, I hadn't washed my hands since Cherry Lewis touched it. You know <laughs> so that was gross because I'd been to the bathroom several times.
0: But he said <laughs> that yeah. thing that you needed to hear at that moment to yep. kind of help just snap you out of it a little bit because you really did. You had achieved a lot. I mean, you had said it. You had said so much, but you had have achieved and overcome so much to get to every moment, every moment along the way. It including was including this very, moment.
2: Yeah, and and John, I sh- I showed up and Johnny T says, "I know who you are. You're Leslie Carr Rudolph. You're, but I, he he was like. How do you know these things? <laughs> Johnny had his long hair yeah. and his mom jeans on. Well,
0: speaking, speaking of Johnny T, and we'll just and do I- this little, just briefly, but I, you were on Johnny and the Sprites, and you played Ginger. Yes, yes. Just give me something, like a little thing that you remember about doing that show.
2: So Johnny was really, Johnny took, I can't remember, like we just, we were just one of those people, like you meet and you immediately like, where we were meant to be, just like Tim Legasse. Like Tim yeah. and I are t- twins that are ripped apart. I met his mom and I said, <laughs> "Why did you give me away?" You know, I'm like, we're so wackadoo together, you know, and and like that stuff. So, but I do have to say, and I will go back to to Ginger Sprite, Matt and Pam and Marty and you know that Dr. Seuss and Stephanie and and Heather and all those people on that show made me a better puppeteer, and they also they also welcomed me into the family
0: important yeah an important part
2: you know makes me cry johnny took me to see i had my picture with snuffy and you know i met everybody you guys were working on something and i had the fish person and i came off crazy again it's like (laughs) what is this person Eh." okay so johnny and the sprites Ginger Sprite was awesome. We I had actually sent in an audition tape with Lolly. Um, but it's hard to do an audition tape for a character that does it is Lolly's such a strong statement of a character. Right. You can't picture it. And then I was teaching character development at the O'Neill Puppetry Conference because Pam then asked me to, you know, work with people. And then um, they were having auditions again. So I said, can I please audition again, Johnny, in person? So then we had to (laughs) we had to improvise and we were paired up. And Johnny says, you know, the moment that you got that character. And I'm like, no, Um, I was with Rick Lyon and Rick Lyon was being like he was really being hard to get to as like a, 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 a partner, you know, like his choices were like, and so finally it was like, my character Ginger says, listen here, Basil, I'm trying to help. <laughs> I mean, I, get, I, I, so like all of a sudden I made this like bold, like reaction and went off on this because I wasn't being able to get in. And that frustration, I was like, well, I'm using this. Yeah, And I, you know, and then she got all, so then, so that was neat. Um, it was great because I got to work with Carmen and Heather and Tim and, um, you know, Krupa and a whole new crew and wonderful people. Um, Ginger was gorgeous. Like, she's like a skinned me. Like, she's a tomboy, total me. I became a total tomboy after my brother um pass because I was you know trying to do that for my dad I did everything I did sports I was class president three years out of four because it's a giant craft we made floats anyway but she was just like yeah I got this and she had an iMac she had wings and it was so fun because you're creating a character from scratch and she was so scruffy and You know, and it was, and I got to sing, and we had these beautiful songs, and they were choreographed. It was filmed. I worked with Sean Harkins, who's like
0: great cameraman. Yeah, Yeah. and and,
2: practical uh, joker like me. mm -hmm. So I love practical jokes. Anyway, not practical jokes, but jokes. And so anyway, and so it was just a really a great playground to play.
0: And you know, a sprite is not far off from a fairy, right? No, not not too far. So, why don't we talk about the most famous fairy that I can think of that I I know of?
1: Famous fairy. Yeah,
0: Abby Cadabby. I got it. What year did you come to Sesame Street with Abby?
2: Um, I I want to say it's easier to say season thirty six. That's fine. Because Pam said, "I got you a T-shirt from this year," because you won't get one (laughs) or -hmm. something. Because you know how they do the order form. Yes. the, I I could be wrong, um. So can I say something about Johnny T first? Absolutely. I, after Muppets Tonight, and I, and and Dr. Seuss, I did have a time where I pitched a show to Disney with all my characters that played at the El Capitan Theater, and um, from that, uh, I moved on to a different situation, and. After that, I ended up doing Animal Jam, which is another puppet show. We did 30 episodes in six weeks, an episode a day with live kids and everything in Florida. Sorry, to, I'm going, I'm fast forwarding this. No. And that's where I really got my chops because we did 30 episodes a day.
0: A lot of, a lot mean, of hours on kids. 30 episodes <laughs> a day. Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
2: 30 episodes in six weeks.
0: Yeah, but that's still, that's like a really great, a lot of camera yeah, time. With two songs.
2: two wow. songs in every episode and live kids for the second half. So that, and also during that time, after the Disney thing, I ended up winning a drag competition, raising money for AIDS. And I was the queen of Silver Lake for a year as Edwina Feintot, a sock monkey specialist. So for a year, (laughs) I got very ensconced. And that's when I started performing under gay bars because I was doing all these AIDS benefits as this crazy character. Lolly was born. uh, through the power of suggestion by Miss Coco Peru, a very famous drag queen, and then lo- I performed Lolly one night, and then Lolly now,
0: started if, being
2: asked in every.
0: If people if people don't know who Lolly is or what she looks like, <laughs> she's a sock.
2: Right, she's just a sock, a
0: white, just like a white cotton sock.
2: Yeah. Well, what happened? Made after my Disney show, you know, which was ran for six weeks at the El Cap. Well. No, not six weeks. What am I saying? Three months at the El Capitan Theater. They used to run my show, the Wahoo Wagon, before movies, and it was like it was like my. I had this was before Avenue Q. I had a skunk puppet. It was all. It was like my ad- imagination on paper. You know, I had a fifty nine Cadillac convertible with flip flop and fly. These Rottweiler, husky, and a wolf dressed up singing Andrew's sister's harmony behind me, all this crazy. That's a whole nother podcast. I'm so sorry. But while that was happening, my characters were tied up with Disney. And at the same time, I was still painting windows. I'm always multitasking. Yeah. Um, But that's the same time we were trying to raise money for Allegria House, which is a, a, a facility for families affected with HIV. So the store that was... Um, selling my clothes. Everybody sponsored a drag queen. But they didn't have a drag queen, so they used me. So I had a character. So when the yeah. Disney show ended, I ended up being the queen of Silver Lake for a year. And I did all, I got really involved in my community. Eric Garcetti, the now mayor, was city councilman. He gave me the key of the city. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know this happened, Matt, but it happened. But then also I did Animal Jam. I did the pilot and then Animal Planet really liked me in the pilot. So then Johnny T and I got really close when we were in Florida and John Kennedy worked on that. Andy Stone and Allison Mork and... You know, just like, and Ricky Boyd. Ricky Boyd is the funniest man on the planet. He's got great songs, uh, great stories. So there you go. Sorry about that. That's, That's right. It.
0: So now, because a sprite is not far off from a fair. You're going
2: to edit that out. No,
0: huh? no, I'm not. I'm not going <laughs> to edit it out. I just want to reset where we were. Abby Kadabi. Yeah. Around season oh, 36. I tell you
2: what Ollie looked like.
0: Tell me what Lolly looks like. Yes.
2: Okay. So I lost that. I was asked to sing. I wasn't performing. Miss Coco Peru says, why don't you just do a puppet if you're scared to sing in front of people? And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So I grabbed a sock and I grabbed Pippi Longstocking's headband. I twisted it <laughs> up. I glued it onto the sock with some buttons. I put an, a, a child size uh, Halloween costume on her and I hot glued arms to her and I performed her. And that's what she is. And
0: okay. is have you ever remade her? Or is she the same?
2: I've, this is what's so gross. I've remade her several times, but I can't find the wig, so I keep scalping her. I keep <laughs> cutting her. I keep cutting the, because every time I don't sew it on, oh, I'm an it's idiot. It's hot to, glue. So her scalp is so thick with, like, I don't know, seven layers of hot glue.
0: Oh, my gosh. All right. Now we really do need to talk about Abby because we've teased, we've teased Abby so many times, and now we got to talk about her.
2: And we're past our time.
0: Uh, Well, are you okay to keep going?
2: Yeah, I just feel bad for your listeners.
0: Well, well, I'm going to edit this down into 15 minutes anyway. Oh, my God. (laughs) No. Edit
2: all all stuff out.
0: (laughs) So, uh, you know what? How did you hear about the audition for Abby?
2: This is a good way. Um, Several people called me. In fact, countless people called me. And and first, Annie Evans says, I think they're making a fairy character. And this was at the O'Neill. And then Marty's like, they're making a fairy character, and I'm like, I love. He goes, "You're a fairy." I'm like, Oh, you're a fairy. And <laughs> then you know, then when the audition thing came out, everybody called me. They're just like, "There's a fairy character on Sesame Street. You're a fairy." Because they, I still to this day have fairy gardens and everything. And then I was like, Oh, but I've have been so blessed. You know, um, I just did sprites. Maybe it's somebody else's turn to get something. And I just signed on after sprites. You know, these shows end. You don't, you're not on any kind of, you have to find work again. Yeah. So found a local theater and I started an after school program for kids. And I said, I would do a Christmas show. Well, it was right during the time they were going to be filming Sesame Street. And I didn't want to let the theater down. (laughs) And the theater says, you idiot, it's Sesame Street. (laughs) And then Kevin Clash called me, he goes, they're having auditions for this fairy. you have to audition because they're having a cattle call and so it was all over the country like jen said they sent these anything muppets all over the country and to different things and so they sent it and they didn't even know how to set up a monitor or sides or anything and i was like let me help you because this is not this is fair i said first of all set this monitor up put these sides up let them leave this and don't give them direction and don't follow them because that's, cause you have to, it's up to you to bring people into your world. So they had, they sent us three sides and anything Muppet and two songs. And then like most voiceover people, I'm like, I'm oh, Charlie and Lola are on? I like Charlie and Lola. So I thought she's for me, you know, no accents. And
0: so you dropped the you know, accent.
2: Yeah. So I had three different choices and then I, I did the audition. Then I went to the callback, and I was like, "And Kevin's like, I called you, and then I see your tape, and now I'm calling you in." <laughs> like, so then I went to the callback, but was in New York. Cheryl Blaylock, who I worked briefly on um, Blues Room, um, and Cheryl and I became really good friends. And I called her and I said, "She, I said, my callbacks today. I'm so nervous." She goes, "Well, why don't you come? I'm in the garden and in." Central Park and be in the garden a little bit. It'll calm you. You could be in, being with nature. I'm like, okay. So I had Lolly with me. At first, I went to the dog place. I touched every dog I could possibly touch.
0: <laughs> for I, luck. I, touch a yeah, dog for luck. No, I'm
2: serious. Yeah. I felt like I need the spirit of play because Abby is a puppy. And then I went and I, I sat with, um, I talked with Cheryl and she goes, why don't you put Lolly on? So then I put Lolly on that day. And I played with some kids, and I was completely calm. Mm. I was like, you know what? This is my 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 life's dream has been to create a character that makes a difference in life. You know, the way Car- you know, be it Carol Burnett, be it a puppet, the way Sesame Street reached into my life and changed my life. And I'm like, this is a dream. I'm just gonna go in. I'm just gonna be me. And then my my goddaughter called me and left a message, you know, and like, Auntie Les, you are. A fairy anyway. And you are going to be this fairy. And that's the way it is. You know, like or something to that effect. Uh But it was mostly I listened to her. I'm like, that's the voice. That's the voice. And she was, well, I can um, take this. You know, and she's morphed a little bit. But her cadence is weird. She chooses different things to accentuate. And then I went in. We read one side and it was with, uh, and then it was Fran Brill and um, Sonia Manzana, which I was, of course, starstruck. But then Fran and I, um, we improvised for like 20 minutes. I don't even know how we had blood in our arms. Uh, We were just going back and forth and we were playing as Zoe and Abby. And I'm like, and my dad, you know, we make him fennel cookies because fennel gets rid of like gas. My dad's part gnome and boys, he gassy. And we have, (laughs) and we were just, and then um, that was it. You know, I, I, I was like, this was so much fun. And, and Fran, because she's a brilliant actress and we connected on such a character in the moment. I just thought, I don't even care. This is the, this is pure joy. And I hadn't seen Abby till that audition, Matt. They, Abby didn't even have her other arm. Was
0: there any drawing of her or anything like no. that?
2: No. Oh. They showed me Abby. Abby had like a foam arm. And the other one, like it wasn't like the other one. One was just foam, and I was like, "What? This is weird." (laughs) But I was just, I was smitten. She was just like, looked like Cindy Lou Who. She looked like a puppy to me, like the way she looked and tilted her head. I'm like, "Oh, she's a puppy fairy." Like Abby just wants to play with everybody. And then I got the call from Kevin. I I didn't recognize the number. I get to pick up the phone. It's like, "Are
1: you alone?"
2: I'm like, "Ew." It was so this? And He's like, "Yeah, I'm alone because I was called back with some really fabulous female puppeteers, and he didn't know if I was with them because it happened pretty quickly." And he goes, "You got a girl?" I'm like, "Oh!" It's just like projectile Monty Python crying.
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: And then I got in the the car. I called everybody, and you know. um uh, Paul met me at the airport and he'd written on like, you got it. You're the, fa-. like he had decorated the car and I'm like, get in quickly. The other performer doesn't know yet. Speed <laughs> away. Thank <laughs> God we didn't offer her a ride. <laughs> <It's really laughs> awkward. But, um, and then, and then the rest is kind of history. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know, I Abby, she's, talking. she is an original just like you. And so just to, for a second, you kind of talked about her a little bit, but what makes her tick?
2: Um, you know what I, I liked? They gave me very little to go on because, <laughs> okay, she likes to rhyme.
1: <laughs> All right.
2: Thanks. <laughs> it's like, um, okay, there's got to be more to it than that. Well, she likes words. She has spells. And um, one of the things is when she, she was going on early on, I called Tony Geiss. And I said, look, I'm going on interviews. Do you have anything that you want to tell me about, Abby? Because you were, I I, I thought I'd go to the source. And he goes, the most important thing is that that you say the most powerful magic comes from your heart. And I'm like, absolutely. So, and I thought, I remember, I'm a big Gracie Allen fan, (laughs) you know, because Gracie has a different way of thinking. And I thought, you know, Abby is seeing the world like she thinks tape is fantastic like wow this is amazing who made this tape you can stick things did they get the idea of this of this from from flies and their feet you know so she's kind of like she's a she wants to know how things work you know at first she got a lot of slack they said oh she's a girl and she makes mistakes i'm like she's resilient and as mistake is an opportunity and she she doesn't let mistakes slow her down she finds another way out of it and she stays positive and she approaches it oh yeah. she's Girl, she's wearing a dress. That's so stereo. That's her fairy culture, and she's really proud of it. Her dress is petals. So as, a, as somebody who I dissect characters, you know, and then one of the things, the first thing I did is I wrote my feelings about every, Abby has a journal. I wrote how I felt about everybody in the, in, the, in all the relationships, how she looks up to Rosita and how she loves Zoe and how all these different things, I just wrote something for everyone. And
0: that's important character building. That's stuff that you may never hear on the show, but it's stuff that you now carry with you inside your heart that then comes through the puppet that makes it now somehow more realistic, more three-dimensional. It gives depth to that character, right?
2: Yeah, because you know as an actor, and we all are actors, it's not like puppeteer or actor, we're both, is that comedy comes from relationships and interactions. And and so it's not just your relationship with your fellow performers, it's your relationship in the environment. How do you feel about where you are? That informs how you are on Sesame Street. Her very first thing was like, okay, I'm here, first guy I'm going to meet, Oscar. Oscar. He tells her to scram. I'm like, well, that just isn't mean I was. I don't even know what to do with that. You know, she didn't cry. Mm-mm. She didn't. She was like, huh. You know, because she comes from Fairyland where there's trolls <laughs> and there's you know there's all these crazy characters. Like my life is filled with crazy characters. Well, let me just get to know these people or these snuffies or these things. So for me, it was an opportunity to sh- show comedy.
0: Your work on Sesame Street as Abby and everything else that you do it is messy. It's, it's beautiful. I was going to say it's beautiful, you know, and
2: <laughs> Your is super messy. We
0: bring, everybody brings what's great about our group on Sesame street. I think right now is that we all have strengths in different ways. And we all bring those into that big Sesame street pile and we just throw them into the pile. And then mm-hmm. what comes out of it is this beautiful community, this beautiful group of people. These beautiful stories that hopefully will connect with kids and and make them see themselves in the characters and go, that's me. That little yeah. fairy's like me. I can do that.
2: Yeah, because we're all coming from love. Yeah, our intention is pure light.
0: No, look. So before we get before we get to these rapid, I told fire you she was boring. <laughs> Paul, wait your turn. <laughs> before we, uh, I'm going to do these rapid fire questions. But before we do, I want to mention that recently, over the past couple of years, you've done a run of shows at the Laurie Beachman Theater in New York City. That's another basement space, mm-hmm. right, that you did way back I in the day. Did
2: I ever get to be above ground. <laughs>
0: I know. I'd
2: kill to be on Broadway. I wouldn't kill. I'd kill. No.
0: <laughs> but you did a show called What Just Happened. Yes. And I remember bringing uh, Jack and Hunter to uh, a performance because this was more of an, uh, an adult uh, cabaret, yeah, right? It was
2: the, more of the adult stories where I can share characters that have been through stuff. That's right. And
0: and I said, hey, guys, you got to see this. You've got to see this. And, uh, I mean, they loved it, of course. Yeah. And then we also brought our whole family to see uh, Leslie and Lolly's Bizarre Brunch.
2: Uh, oh, that was Moonlight Madness. Oh, wait, Actually, we
0: did. That's right, Moonlight Madness. But you were doing the Bizarre Brunch.
2: Yeah, so they gave me a residency there, and Bizarre Brunch was kind of like the the idea was that it was like a gospel bunch, but with comedy and music and characters. So it was that humor with a heart. And then I would have a loose theme, but I would tell these stories that is that you didn't realize that you were getting a story weaved in. But yeah. Hmm. So what just happened told a little bit about my Hollywood story. I was in the sketch comedy group with Josh Gad, where I sliced my tendon with a utility blade. Oh, I remember
0: that. And Oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, and in, in Moonlight Madness, you became a, over the course of the show, you became a werewolf. You became yes. a dog.
2: This was my coming out <laughs> story. No, it literally was. I wanted to write a story because I'm a dog and I the more people know it. But it was kind of like, it was a Halloween story, but it was a nod to other Halloween stories, but also Mr. Limpet. You know where he wants to be a fish so much, he turns into a fish. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I rescue a uh, were-doodle. I don't know it's that. It bites me at the beginning of the show. And as the show goes on, little by little, I turn into a dog. <laughs> I transform into my true self because I had I'd kissed and licked so many dogs. The the science of me is like, you are a dog and Lolly accepts me. But it really is a story about accepting who you are. And it was for the LGBTQ community, people who are struggling with self-confidence and stuff. And it's just like, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like whatever you love, you know, and as long as you're true to yourself. So, But it was a comedy. though. That was the purpose behind it. That That's what gives me the confidence to do my things.
0: Is yeah. have is something to have a message behind it?
2: Yeah, otherwise I wouldn't get on stage. Like I'm not a I I'm not on Broadway. I'm not famous, you know. So if I sing a song, nobody's like they wouldn't come. Like my my company is who I love, Michael Hicksos. So he goes nothing personal, less, but people aren't really coming to hear your voice, you know. The, if, if you sing, that's great, but they're coming because they they want to hear what you have. They want to hear what you're going to bring out.
0: I think that's true.
2: Yeah, and I I call myself Mary Poppins meets Monty Python because I my influences are Carol Burnett, the Muppets, Monty Python and Disney, you know. Those are and all
0: great influences.
2: You know, that's kind of like
0: Yeah. <laughs> and what you come up with in your shows, and I've seen several <laughs> of them, I they're so unique and beautiful and and they really do tell Funny, oh my gosh, so funny. Such funny stories. You've got this character called Granny Dot.
2: Yeah, I do a spoken word piece on gravity that just scars children if they're there. Because <laughs> I lay it out, literally. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes I make them hold it.
0: And it's it's just such a fun time. So I hope you, I hope that you get to do more of that.
2: I do, I don't know if we're allowed, if this is probably timeless, but we're in the situation we are, we're not being able to do theater. That is just so heartbreaking for me. And um, in my last show, Granny Dot actually, I got everybody in the audience to wear emergency ponchos and Granny Dot body surfed through the audience and Lolly did poncho vogue.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. And and,
2: like, it was crazy.
0: All right, Leslie, I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions and you just kind of, you're going to, you're going to be, okay, here we go. Are you ready? I'm ready. What's the hardest part about being a puppeteer?
2: (sighs) Oh, uh, oh God! I said I was going to be ready. The hardest part, um, everything—it's <laughs> really hard.
0: What's the easiest part then?
2: Everything—it's <laughs> not hard at all.
0: What is your you know, biggest?
2: the easiest okay. part—the yes. part, hardest part about being a puppeteer is not laughing during a take, um, and 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 trying to you know that. Um, The easiest part about being a puppeteer is um, being filled with joy. Mm.
0: What's the biggest what's your biggest strength as a puppeteer or a performer? (laughs) Gail. Gail is a guinea pig. It's a little plastic guinea pig that Leslie has with her all the time and when she can she will Stealthily hide Gail, this little miniature guinea pig in the background of a set. So probably countless episodes, Gail has been in the background of a Sesame Street story.
2: Oh, a movie? Right. She's been on Broadway. Yeah. Forgetting so much. Let me tell you why Gail's my straight. Is, um, she keeps me in the moment.
0: I love that. What's your biggest weakness as a performer, would you say?
2: Gale. Gail. No, Um, uh, my, my biggest weakness as a, as a a puppeteer, um, you know, I, I never think I'm good enough. You know, I just, I, I, I do my best, but I just am in so in awe by the performers around me. I, I still am, I still am fans of the people I work with.
0: What is your favorite thing about being a Sesame Street Muppet performer?
2: It's what we talked about before. Um, everybody on set, you know, we're part of a solution, you know, in this world right now, you know, I, I know when I have that puppet on, I know I see myself as a little girl watching me. Mm. And I see all the kids and I, especially now with all the kids and what's going on, there's so many different stories. Like when I was growing up, I told you, um, you know, the way parents deal with stress or go through things. We don't know what those kids are. And our kids, characters are friends to them. You know, when kids come yeah. on and they soul hug us and that everybody everybody around us knows that the most important thing that we're doing is we're 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 balancing the world with love and joy and we're committed to huma- the humanity of the world and lifting people to kindness. Love and that. Acceptance.
0: That's great. This is a toughie because you do so much creating, Leslie, but, uh, but I have to ask it because I ask everybody. Jerry Nelson said to me once, Sesame Street is great, but you always have to have something that is your own that you create. Now, normally I ask, what is that for you? But we've described many, many things that you do and you do a lot of creating on your own. I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. while we were doing this interview, you were making a pipe cleaner version of B. Arthur or something. So, uh, I am going to ask you this. What is something that yes. you want to create? But you have not been able to do that yet.
2: Ooh, um, I, I'm I'm actually taking class for this right now. Um, I'm so there's lolly stuff all over the world. Like I, in my world, you know, she has like a lolly portal.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, um, and uh, I um. I, I want to write the Lolly movie and so stupid. Well because well it's like but I I don't know if I could do it like it's like the I can't give away the thing, but I I just want to give her her world it's I know this sounds crazy, but Lolly has a world within a world. you know, there's me. And I've, sometimes I'm like, Lolly, do you think we, you would... Like, people will say, can Lolly host our show? And I'm like, well, let me ask her. <laughs> I mean, I was like, they, they asked me to ask her. I was like, what is going on here? So um, I would like to create, like, a backstory and a whole thing that's cohesive where she can live and, and you know, spread joy from. I thought it was Lolly's radio play date, but... Um, and ultimately have Lolly World or Lollyland, yeah. miniature golf course.
0: Well, Leslie, that's a beautiful <laughs> answer.
2: Camp for Kids slash and- <laughs> Animal Rescue.
0: Thank you so much for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. It was fun. Did you have fun?
1: Yes, <laughs> I did. I was just like,
2: yeah, I did, Matt. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I, I get super shy because I know that I'm queen of the non sequiturs and I – You know, I did have my goal that I only mentioned death twice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's Below the Frame. Please follow us on social media, your Twitters, your Instagrams, your Facebooks. Tell us what you think of the show. Speaking of our show, Below the Frame was produced by me. Our theme song was written by Stephanie DeBruzzo and performed by the Mighty Weaklings. Our podcast artwork was created by Dave Holteen at DaveHoltinDesign.com. Special thanks to Jan Nelson for giving me Jerry's writings and to Carmen Ospar for sharing her memory and reading one of his stories. Another special thanks goes out to Andy Solberg for the song today featuring Jerry Nelson. Thanks to Leslie Carrara Rudolph for being part of this episode. And thanks to you, the fans, for listening. I'm Matt Vogel. We'll see you next time when we go Below the Frame. Bye-bye. Go, 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 below the frame.